You are listening to episode 82. And I also would like to introduce today the Okiki Video Bootcamp. Yes, I will be launching a course, which I will have a wait list in the show notes. And I will be launching some group coaching as well. I know there has been a lot of requests lately of people wanting to learn how can they create content for their own brands. And so I'm looking forward to bringing you along in the journey with that. If that's something that you've wanted to gain skills and techniques on, this will be for you. You'll learn systems on how to create content effectively and efficiently and have more time for yourself in the process while reaching your clients. Again, you can find the information for the Okiki Video Bootcamp in the show notes below. On today's episode, I get to interview my cousin. Woohoo! Her name is Tolwani Obayam, and she has done amazing, amazing contributions in the creative space. She is based in Lagos, Nigeria, and she has worked on many uh, script writing projects, including her film that got on Netflix called This Lady Called Life and did very well globally and she also wrote for a film called Ponzi which you can find on Amazon Prime and between that she has worked on several projects as well some of her awards to date are best of Nollywood 2020 award for best screenplay AMVCA nomination for best writer and Explore the World with Tyndall, for which she won an ITFF Africa 2019 award for Best African. She has a bachelor's in mass communication and a master's degree in film and television studies. And I am so excited to share with you someone who is not only talented, not only a millennial, and not only making a name for a Nigerian film, but someone who I know personally as my cousin. And she is one of the most resilient, inspiring people that I have gotten to know. So I'm very excited to have her on the podcast today. If you are enjoying the Okiki podcast, I would love if you left us a review and a rating on Spotify podcasts or Apple podcasts and let us know how are these podcasts inspiring you and where are you at in your entrepreneur journey. We'd love to be a source of inspiration and support in any way and we definitely want to know how you're participating with these stories that are being told. This podcast is also brought to you by Okiki Consulting where we bring you bilingual video content strategy. So whether it's video editing, videography, or video content strategy, our company is there to support you in both languages in English and French to help you to have very inspiring, impactful content. And now on with the episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Brien. everyone and welcome to the Okiki podcast and today I have the special honor of having a very special guest which is my own dear cousin Toluani Obaya and not only do I love her as a cousin but she is incredibly talented and she is doing a lot of incredible things and I'm just inspired by her at her young age doing all this and a disclaimer to the people listening to this podcast we actually live on completely different sides of the world and for people who know my podcast and know this world, like they would see me as very creative, but I'm very excited to share someone who is my cousin, who's very creative. And it's just really 
cool to see that runs in the family and I feel like every time I talk to her about art or like anything I'm interested in it's like someone who just gets you so (laughs) it's really exciting for me to have her on this show and on this podcast and share her story just a little bit about her she's driven by a passion to create narratives that inspire change and she has written and directed and edited quite a few projects she has a short film heart and might dedicated to fallen heroes her movie this lady called life she received the best nollywood award for best screenplay and the amvca nomination for best writer and that film you can actually see it on netflix so not only did she get those awards but it's actually on netflix and even north america you can access that film she has many other uh, films under her name another film she has ponzi which you can also get on Amazon Prime. So she's doing a lot of incredible things and a lot of incredible work, which we will have in the show notes. But I'm just so inspired by her all the way across in Canada. And it's just really cool to have a cousin who's like going after arts and going after production this way. So yes, uh, Toluani, please share with us about you (laughs) and take the stage (laughs) for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about being here. I've seen episodes. I've watched people who are extremely inspiring and you've interviewed them, but you yourself are extremely inspiring. You've been doing so much wonderful work and spotlighting other people. I think that's just so generous of you. So thank you for having me. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for being my cousin. I don't know if I can thank you for that because we had (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. what do you want me to share about yeah let's start from the beginning sure um I guess to help the audience to like Toluani also has a YouTube channel she also shares a lot of ideas all the time and honestly it's kind of like feeling like I have a creative Twitter across the world I don't know how else to put it. I love seeing her stuff it just makes my heart so full so I wanted to just know from your experience and your background because we grew up in completely different sides of the world and not that this interview is about me but what was your creative and educational and career path that kind of led you into this field that you're in today? It's a bit of a long, winding, winding story in some ways. First of all, when I had the chance to start specializing a bit, when I was in my junior MYA, something you do in Nigeria before you choose the sciences or the arts in secondary school, I was so sure I wanted to be an architect because I was good at um, technical drawing. <laughs> and many people would say, well, you'll be an architect. You, you'll be so good at this. And I only be a woman amongst men because it was most of the guys in school would go to that class. So I went in that direction, and then I realized after a while that I really didn't enjoy it that much. The only thing I enjoyed in that whole space was maybe the drawing itself, but I didn't like further mathematics. I didn't really care for physics or chemistry and all of that. I, I was constantly zoning out in class. I would find myself in the arts area, teaching people about literature and doing it like with a lot of joy. And I'll be wondering, how come they get to do this? And I'm struggling here and I'm finding school boarding. And then eventually I ended up not doing well in mathematics. And I think in, at that time in the school system, if you don't pass mathematics, you can't go to the next class. You would have to repeat a year until you pass it. So I repeated a year. And because I repeated, I was able to then choose to go to the arts. It gave me another chance. Like, I believe God would give me another chance to course correct. So I ended up going to the arts. And interestingly, when I went to the arts, my mathematics was very fine. I was the one teaching people about maths in my class, and I did really well. Even when I was getting into university, I had no problem with my courses and everything. So I just sometimes feel like it didn't work out because I needed to change the direction I was heading in. I moved to the arts, and then I knew I was going to do mass communication because I always loved how newscasters, journalists searched for stories, communicated with people, were communicating to masses, which is sort of what I still do now through film and storytelling and screenwriting and all of that. It's still, it's a form of mass communication. It's a medium of mass communication. And I did mass communication in university. By my final year, I knew I wanted to specialize in film specifically. So I did my dissertation in film. And the topic was the audience perception of Nollywood, sorry, the perceived role of Nollywood themes in social cultural development. I share this because in many ways, 
it has informed the way I even do what I do in film and screenwriting and storytelling in general, because my stories are very social impact driven. That's because I'm always going for the issues that we need to highlight. I want to do that with film. Um, so I, I guess that's how I got to where I am. I did a master's in film and television studies. There I learned screenwriting officially. Wrote my first screenplay. That was at the University of Portsmouth in the UK. I wrote my first screenplay. It was 30 minutes. And it was called An African Queen. I enjoyed doing that. I didn't really care much for screenwriting until then. I had loved writing in school, maybe writing short stories here and there, reading a lot of books. But then I saw the format for screenwriting and I realized that without the screenplay, there's no film. There's nothing. And I fell in love with it as well. So that's how I became a writer, director, even though right now I've done more writing than I have directing, but that's about to change as well. So yes, I think that's my story so far. That's incredible. Yeah. And I was going to say too, like, I find the journey and the path really interesting, like how you were saying, like, you know, it was hard to focus until you were in the field that you were in. <laughs> That's something I can relate to as well. So it was really funny to me because learning out was definitely something I did. <laughs> and maybe it's a creative thing. Maybe it's an artist-based thing. I don't know. Like maybe we don't have enough stimulus in the typical mm. streams. And then even you finding this master's program in UK, what was the process even in choosing that program and knowing that that would be a good program to support what you wanted to do? And I think as, as soon as I knew I wanted to focus on film, um, by the time I was doing my dissertation, my dissertation was, I, I think I got an award for it in my final year or something around that. We had an external examiner come in and say it was the best dissertation we had seen in a long while. And that was amongst even postgraduate research papers and everything so it was a big deal I didn't realize I was onto something and it kind of encouraged me knowing that I didn't want to delay in going to the next stage I wanted to do a master's I wasn't sure I wanted to do a PhD yeah, right now I'm still not sure about that but I wanted to do a master's you're my cousin so you know we're from a family that has a lot of um, academics we, we it's like we love studying we love going to school <laughs> until I was in university I didn't know that PhD wasn't compulsory. I thought it was just part of it that you get your university education, you get your master's, and then you get your PhD. Then when I found out I didn't have to do a PhD, I said, okay, I just want to do my master's and then go into the field. So I, I did a lot of research. At a point in time, I was considering the University of Wisconsin in the US, Madison. Um, but then that didn't work out. I don't think I would, I wasn't selected. That's why I didn't go there. The second option was then the University of Portsmouth. And because we lived, my family and I lived in the UK when I was younger, I just felt like, okay, the UK would be a good place to go, maybe touch base with people I hadn't seen in years and things like that. And it was going to be one year. I think that informed it to the speed of the master's. I could do it full time and finish in a year. So yes, and it was a really good one. It was very intimate. A few people in class, one-on-one with our lecturers. I enjoyed it. That's incredible. Yeah, for sure. I remember hearing about this and being very excited and just being like, oh, that's what she's into. That's incredible. I want to know what she's up to kind of thing. And when you got back, you mentioned that first project you worked on. And I remember even being sent some of the projects you were working on and just through correspondence and getting to see it back in the day, right? Just through messaging back and forth. But just to backtrack on that, you did this master's and you knew this is what you were going to do. And what then was your biggest obstacle in entering this industry? Because I want to give the audience a background, like you got Hollywood, you got Bollywood, and there's also Nollywood, uh, Nigerian Hollywood. And there's a lot of film happening in Nigeria. So just to backtrack, like you've done this, you've gotten the schooling. How did you begin to pave your way into this industry that has so much production going on? That's a really good question. It took, it took a while, if I'm really honest. Because when I got back from doing my master's, I got back in 2014. And um, I started out as an editor, a video editor, film editor. I worked as an editor for two years in a major production outfit in Nigeria. It's called Wale Adinza Productions. It was one of the earlier ones that did things like Papa Jat School, Super Story, a lot of Nigerians would know what I'm talking about. Non-Nigerians might not. But yes, I worked there as an editor and I was editing episodes, scenes, back to back to back to back for two years. So I got really good at it. It's now like muscle memory, even though I'm not editing professionally anymore because I'm focusing more on my writing and directing and other things. So that happened. And that was like me trying to get a little bit 
close science in the industry. But it wasn't it wasn't automatic that you would work as an editor and then get a chance to write a screenplay. But um, one of the wonderful things that happened there, and like I've shared about, if you hear me saying things about God, it's just because I think that's what I believe. I believe that when you pray about things, God guides you and leads you to the right people and grants you favor. One of the people I worked with at while I did that production as an editor, he was also an editor. His name is Kaidi Kassun. He's now a very big director in Hollywood in Nigeria, I think in Africa in general. And we were friends there. Both of us were editors. And I remember he had this short film he wanted to do. And I was the editor that could write as well. So he was like, can we just do this thing quickly? We did it. We had very little. I think I wrote it in six hours or something. And we got selected for one interesting competition. We didn't win it. But that was the first time we ever worked together on something. Then life happened. We left Wale and Inga production. He went somewhere else. But we always stayed in touch. And when he was ready to make his first feature, I wasn't available, but the time he wanted to do the second one or the next one, um, he reached out to me again saying, Kilani, I want you to work on this. Like, I know what you're capable of, and I want you to work on this. At this time, I was already working in TV, because it's not like I was doing nothing in between all that time. I was working in television as a head writer on a show called The Other News. It's a political satire show, something like The Daily Show, Nigeria's first ever of that. And I worked there. So I wasn't thinking as much about film. I was wondering that maybe I would just go through TV. It's still very creative, a lot of expression, you know, all of that. And then um, we took a break, a season after the season was over, we had a break and I decided to write the script. And it turned out to be something that was huge because we didn't have much money when we were working on it. It was very low budget, even by Nigerian standards, it was quite low budget. And um, we did it and people loved it when it came out. It was a hit. We were surprised beyond just Nigeria. I think around Africa, Kenya, South Africa, I think Tanzania, I'm not too sure. Jamaica, Bahamas, the Bahamas, um, Australia. And what was that film called? This Lady Called Life. Okay, okay. <laughs> so it went everywhere and up till today, like up till this afternoon. Someone reached out thanking me for my work on the film again. It happens like a lot. By now, I'm, I'm already, I'm used to it. When I hear Thank you so much. I worked there. Like, okay, this lady called life. <laughs> so yeah, so it took a while and I experienced a lot of false promises. There were people I had done work for who took the work and never used it or used it without putting my name on it. So there are a lot of things you go through in attempts to break in. But yes, so I started out 2014 and I didn't end up having my first feature officially anyway. The first feature that had my name properly on it until 2020. So that took a while. So six years before things really started picking up in a way where people were recognizing you for your work in film. And Especially I guess... In TV, what's happening, but they're not in film. Not so much in film. So a few things I picked up is the relationships you've built and even where you exactly. started and like talking to people around you, just never knowing where, who they'll be someday or what their role could be. Then being willing to, you know, start somewhere. Because a lot of people dreaming, like, where do you start? And then also working along the way, because even though you're working TV, you're still working on your craft. And I have to definitely backtrack to Lady Called Life. And, and thank you for giving the very real experiences of what it was like to break in, because a lot of people would see that you have that film on Netflix and be like, oh, wow, like this is an overnight success. <laughs> but as you're telling us, it was a bit of a journey. <laughs> so I want to talk yes. about that. Because that film definitely went big. Um, as you were saying, that was a process of how, when you got to that credit and breaking into the industry. What was even your process of, when did it start picking up, like you said, within the country, within the continent? And what was the process of even getting something like that onto Netflix, where I could see it, and I have watched it twice out here <laughs> in Canada? Thank you. Uh, the process... That was another type of long journey. Like before I got to Netflix, it took a while too. I think it took almost uh, less than a year, but it was several months. We filmed it in 2019, but we didn't have a lot of money yet. Also, at that time, we were both not where we are now, if that makes any sense. Kayade was also at the beginning of his big director space. He had, he had made something that was celebrated globally, like internationally in film festivals, but in Nigeria, no one knew. Some people knew about it, but not as many people knew about it, right? So he wasn't the type of director at that point who could get his film into the cinema because he wasn't working with maybe A-listers at that point in time. And those things tend to matter in the film industry. I guess maybe in Hollywood, not as much, because now the stories are the things that are selling more than the actors in the films. 
But in Nigeria at that point in time, to guarantee that the seats would be full, they needed you to work with someone who had a degree. And we couldn't afford that, right, at that point in time. So along the line, Kaide did some projects that went really big as well. So when he then brought another project that he had worked on, they were like, oh, if it's from this guy, you can put it up. Now it's looking like something we're interested in. He has a track record. He's, he's gained momentum and things like that. So eventually it came out in 2020. Interestingly, when it came out in 2020, we were like, oh, finally, things are going to be wonderful now. It's going to be roses. We're going to be singing songs of praise. And then we had NSARS this the day after, I think. The NSARS protests started the day after the film was released in cinema. It came out on October 9, 2020. October 10 was when the protests took off with a vengeance. And everybody was put on curfew. Cinemas were clo- closed down especially in Lagos, where I'm based and where like the majority of the population that would watch films is based. And I was just wondering to myself, like, of all times, after everything, this is now... And I felt terrible about the protests. That's the truth. I had to actually check my own heart, like, is it about your film or are we protesting for something that's extremely important? I had to check myself because it felt like we had been struggling to birth this for so long. And then this is now the time when everything is shut down. How do we make profit? How do you, how, how is this feasible? How do we even see the film to know that we can do more films that speak to serious issues? Because also at the time, the trend was only comedies would sell. Nobody wants to talk about anything serious. Not, nobody cares about social impact. Just make them laugh and forget about the trouble. So it really hurts us at that point in time. But I remember praying in that season and God telling me that I should just I should just let it be. Basically, I had to let it go and like it's work I've done. I've done my part. I can't do anything at this stage. It's out of my hands, basically. So when it came to I think April the next year and Netflix was on, I remember also sharing a lot of messages with Kaede, telling him a lot of things I felt in my heart that it was still going to be big. Even though at that point in time, because it's all hope is lost. We had that whole, all, all is lost, you know, in screenwriting, the different beats. <laughs> and we had that whole, the dark night of the soul, all, all is lost, and it looks as if the bad guys are closing in. But then we had a happy resolution because when it came out in 2021, overnight, literally overnight, that's when, like, you're, you're asking how long did it take to get around the globe? In less than 48 hours, in less than 24 hours, it was number one in Nigeria. That same day, it was top 10 in South Africa. I think two days after Jamaica and the Bahamas, but in less than 48 hours, these stats I'm, I'm giving happened. And it stayed that way for a long time. I remember it being on the top 10, or short number one for almost a month, or around a month in Nigeria. And then staying on the top 10 for almost another month. And then up to now, it's still off and on trending. So yes, we even got nominated for a film festival in New Amsterdam for best film. I think that's happened this year. I'm not even sure exactly about the dates anymore. Up to today, there's still things that keep coming in just from that film, even though it took a while for it to pick up because of scenarios and everything that was going on around it. Yeah. Wow, that's such an incredible story because it's like you filmed it in 2019. You tried to release it in October that Ed Stars happened. If people listening to podcasts don't know Ed Stars, that's something else you can look up. Very unfortunate situation that affected youth in Nigeria. So definitely a very serious situation. And we heard about it all the way out in North America too. And then, so that paused your release in the theaters. And then you had to re-release it in 2021 again. Is what it sounds like. It stayed released in theaters because that wasn't, for lack of a better word, that wasn't anyone else's business. That was the time that was scheduled for our release. So it stayed. And a lot of people tended, like more people tend, ended up watching it in the northern states of Nigeria and other places. And it even got nominations for like top 10 films of the year, things like that. Miraculously, even the very few people got to see, but people that did see it had a lot of good things to say and good reviews. Right. And then, but, but the, 2021 is like... Yes, 2021 was when it went fully on Netflix. And... Yeah, was there anything that like had to do with that kind of push all of a sudden in 2021 where it just took off? Definitely, I believe God was preparing people's heart for it. But then also, I think Nigeria has a huge home video culture. And in as much as we're going for the cinema move, I think Nigerians just love, love watching movies at home. They want to be comfortable in their PJs, watching it on their laptops in their beds, whatever, watching with family. Nobody really likes dressing up to go and watch a film. It's changing a bit. There's a balance now, but I think that's also part of what happens. So very interesting. And then from there, that's even a journey itself. And then was that the point where Netflix started being interested and being like, oh, there's something going on here. Like we might want to have it on our platform as well. I think they just wanted it because 
they at that point in time they were looking for good Nigerian content and they had heard things about it when it was in cinemas because I said like in as much as it didn't have as much people coming to watch it as many people coming to watch it it had very good reviews even the year where everything was quiet and because critics went to watch it and they made some noise and pop magazine said things and, and that was the year I got the Bon Award for it actually the same year that very few people got to watch it. People that give awards, I guess, were watching it. And I got an award for best screenplay. So I guess that, that was part of what influenced it. And also the people in Nigeria, the people that are involved in getting things into the cinema are also involved in getting things on Netflix. So it was part of that. So if the work is good for cinemas, most likely you will be able to get on Netflix. Yeah, that's incredible. Wow, what a journey. So up to that point, you worked six years. Finally, you have this first feature film. And it really takes off and you're getting all these opportunities from there. What was also part of your journey in establishing your brand? Because I know you did that work and then you worked on a very different film, which I've been trying to see if I could see it on Amazon here. <laughs> so I, I know I can search it online, but I'm not sure if I have it in North America, but I want to watch it. And this is called Ponzi. Was this happening all at the same time? Was this a, or was this a result of the success of this film? And yeah, what opportunities kind of came after this film and that led into that one as well? After This Lady Called Life, I think there were several. But Ponzi came like a few months, like several months, actually, almost a year after I had written or a year plus after I had written This Lady Called Life. In between This Lady Called Life and Ponzi, there have been several that I've written that haven't been made yet. Most people don't know that because it's like, I guess the assumption would be oh, you've had a big one. That means every single thing is just going to be lining up. But then it hasn't been that way specifically because some of those high-end concepts and would require big budgets. And we've been trying to get the funding for projects like that that have some sci-fi things and technological advancements in them. So yes, there have been stories. Like I think I wrote about seven between before I wrote concept, maybe not seven, I think five or so, back to back. And I was burnt out because I was trying to do so much. And I was also frustrated at the point because I was like, why am I writing so much? And then no one is getting to see this. And people would just say, oh, she's written this lady called life and she's written Ponzi, but there are so many other things in between that haven't been made yet because I guess we've not found the right home and the right amount of money to make them. Ponzi came after that. I'm just saying that to say that there were a lot of people wanting me to work on things. And I did work on those things, but then some of them haven't been made yet. And it also taught me in that season that. I have to watch the trajectory of the people I'm working with. And just because the person is willing to pay you to script something doesn't mean they're ready to make it. And for a screenwriter, it's not really helpful for your resume when you just have the script to show. You need to show the film, show that this is a film I wrote as against this screenplay I wrote and haven't been produced. For directors, once they make a film, that's it. It shows it speaks for itself. And because of that, I became very selective. Like just because you campaign, it doesn't mean I'm interested. I want to know when this is being linked. I want to know how it's being distributed. So yes, Ponzi came after that. It came after NSARS. I, I finished writing it after NSARS. I, it was difficult to write because it was it's supposed to be parody satire. And I wasn't finding anything funny. I was burnt out from the season. I was part of the protest. So I went, I remember going to Togo where the shootings happened eventually. And I carried the whole thing that and police brutality and things like that. So when when people were shot, I had a family relative of sorts who was there well, he wasn't hurt, thankfully. And he came to tell us eyewitness accounts of what happened and it was brutal. And I just couldn't believe that that could happen in my country, in my neighborhood. So I couldn't write for a bit and I spoke to the producer, the director, and I told them I was just in a bit more time. Thankfully, they were kind enough to do that. So I finished writing it in, I think, January and they started filming not too long after that. So yeah. Yeah, that was such a wild time. I thank God you were safe because seeing that and seeing youth and being a Nigerian youth out here it definitely was very emotional to see even from here what was going on during that time. Yeah, and so that writing process was even difficult. And I do appreciate you explaining like the in between because a lot of times people just see the highlights, but what's the in between? That's the parts I'm very interested in as well. So Ponzi is a completely different type of story, and without giving it away, and I have some highlights of the trailer that will be in this interview as well if you're seeing it on YouTube. But what kind of inspired that story? And because it was satire, it was different. You do have some actual notable Nigerian comedians in it as well. So, like, what was the process of that? Because I know with Lady Called Life, you said the budget was 
was very small. You both were just kind of passionate about creating the story. And without being too biased, I felt like the story was very rich, honestly, when I watched it. I was like, this is very different than a typical Nollywood film. But yeah, with this one, was the circumstances still the same? Was it low budget? What kind of arrangement did you have to create this very different type of film? And what was the process of doing that? Okay. For Ponzi, the budget was not as low as the same for life. It wasn't the highest. And when you watch it, you realize that a lot of it happens in very similar places. So very few locations. But then it was more of an ensemble cast. So I guess if anything went into spending, it was more of the casting than the actual locations and infrastructure for filming on sets and stuff like that. The process for that was, it's based on, it was based on a true story, true experience, loosely based. Joshua, my brother, your other cousin, and I, during our NYSC, NYSC is something we do in Nigeria, it's almost like a leap year, a gap year, I don't know what, what you call it in Canada, but where people just go off for you and do something. But then this is mandatory in Nigeria where everyone has to do something that we serve their nation, almost like a paramilitary assault, but really junior paramilitary, and get training and really teach in school. It's just a whole year and the government pays you. So during our NYSC, we stayed in this, neighborhood in Lagos. That was the first time we were moving away from home in Nigeria. Before then, I had done my master's and I had lived alone in the UK. But now back home, this was the first time we're living alone. I'm living alone in Lagos. And Lagos is wild. So we lived on this street called Agbokus. And this is my brother and I who were coming from very pampered, not pampered, pampered in the word, very secure. It's a secure setting where everything is controlled. And we're going into the streets where we're literally stepping out and you're seeing someone smoking a blunt. And you're just like, what is going on here? Because you've never experienced that before. But it was very interesting. Because in as much as like before, those people were, people like that would have been othered to us. There were people that we didn't necessarily interact with. But then we're seeing them every day and they're actually being nice. Like, oh, welcome back from work. My brother, he, was, he used to rap then and he's from J-O-B. Oh, J-O-B's sister. And it was just very interesting. Some of them were people who would fall prey to something like the pyramid scheme. At that period in time, there was a pyramid scheme, scheme called um, MMM that a lot of people fell prey to on that street. And the whole ideation of the story was, imagine this happening on that same street. The characters were not too far-fetched. It wasn't difficult to really imagine them because these were people I had seen and had interacted with. Even though it was a bit from a distance, I was going to work and I'll come back and then we'll talk a bit when I buy things like Malam Shop. In this story, there was a Malam Shop because of the Malam Shop on that street. So yes, it was just from true experiences and interactions with the world that we were not necessarily familiar with before NYSC. So that's why it looks very different. It doesn't look like this is the kind of thing to learn would know about. She was very calmly. This lady called life looks more like but Ponzi was more like this, you know, observing the world around and finding beauty in it and still trying to give a voice to people who couldn't understand how they could have fallen prey to a situation like that. But beyond that, using that as a metaphor for the ways in which corruption was scamming Nigerians, making big promises and then not fulfilling because we were not asking the right questions and we were not paying attention to how these things really work. So yes, that's how. So at the end of the day, it was still social impact, but just from a different angle. And in some ways, to my experience in um, TV, in satire writing, in comedy writing and stuff, really helped with that because I had I was head writer on the other movie shows about that. Yeah, very cool. I definitely get some indication of where it's going from the trailer and, and people about to get <laughs> bamboozled. Like, as we watching the trailer yesterday going like, these people, they seem very clueless as to what's about to go down, but I I need to see how this goes. Yeah, again, with this one, when it was released, how was that process? Now, this is a year after, and another thing, even when you're saying N-Stars, maybe it didn't affect you guys the same level, but we were having the lockdown over here, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, this is like a year after all of that. You've written mm-hmm. it, you've worked on it, it's released. What was the reception? And then again, this is another film that got to get picked up by another um, distribution channel being Amazon Prime. Maybe it's other ones as well. You can definitely fill that in. But yeah, how was that like for you and your team? And were you partnered with the same writer that you partnered with in Lady Called Life for this one? Or was this completely- same director? Same director. Yes, yeah, so yeah. same director, a different producer this time. Okay, cool. The process for this, or should I say the aftermath of it, was a bit different. I wasn't sure how I felt about the aftermath. It wasn't as, oh, let's just think, 
joy, joyous songs of celebration. It was mixed. The reviews were very mixed. Some people loved it and some people hated it. And I was like, why? Like, this is like, it was, hard, it was harder for me to write, I think, than writing um, this way for life. Because anyone who knows about writing comedy knows it's not easy to get laughs. At least for the most part, people really did laugh. So that, that we got that right. But people seemed to miss the fact that it was satire. And satire plays on a lot of rules that I guess people were watching it like it was normal comedy. And I had to learn about sensitizing the audience to, like, the Nigerian audience is not necessarily the global audience or Hollywood audience. The things that the, the different nuances of comedy that might be understood elsewhere might not really be appreciated in, in the African sense because of what we enjoy as comedy. And I didn't factor that in when I was trying to write something satirical. So people would re- watch something and say, but that's not realistic. I'm like, it's satire, that's the point. You blow things out of proportion at times because it's satire. I just wanted to, I wish I could grab a mic and just let me explain what was happening here and there, but then it taught me too that once the story is in the audience's hands, you have to let them have, like, it's, their, it's in their hands now, it's no longer in your hands. The film is never over until the audience has watched it and experienced it, and they have the right to give their spin on it. That's how art is, it's subjective, so I didn't need to ask that defending myself. I'm up and down <laughs> around the place. But the other side of things too was that based on budgetary limitations, the way I wrote the script wasn't necessarily the way it was filmed. And the director was very open about why he made the decisions he made and why he had to do some things a certain way. I wrote it with a lot of camera insinuation because that's where I think you're not supposed to direct the director, but almost like, this is what we could do. This is a kind of reference for what I'm writing. And if we had all the money in the world, we would have done it that way, but we didn't have all the money and we didn't have all the time. So I wonder sometimes that I, what it would have been like to see that version of the film. Sometimes I imagine it in my head because it's like the film I didn't get to see. All in all, the reception was like the people that loved it loved it. They got a lot of um, celebration to got to be on from Airways. I think it was on Qatar Airways. I think it's still on Qatar Airways, Airways right now. On Turkish Airways Airlines trip, if I'm correct. So a lot of people were watching it when they were in the air. Some message when they got back and say, okay, they watched this and they loved it. Then it got taken in by Amazon Prime. But the difference on this is that I am not super sure about the reception of Amazon Prime. I don't know how it works in comparison to Netflix, but I wasn't really involved in the distribution aspect of it. Once the producer came into the picture, he took over the rest of it. So I didn't get to know much about how that was, apart from when things show up on Amazon. Oh, now it's on Amazon. Thank you. I didn't know when it was on Qatar Airways. I just found out. And now it's on Qatar Airways. Yeah, so that was so I'm not as I guess connected to that story based on how it has been because it's not really it doesn't feel like it's mine anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does completely. I think it's really interesting to give some background of some of those processes for someone who's watching this and seeing you and seeing what you're doing and wanting to be inspired to go after some of those dreams themselves. Like, what does that actually look like? Like, practically, mm-hmm. you know, what are those processes? Is it straightforward? Is it not straightforward? Like, all of mm-hmm. that in between. Something I do want to kind of get into is I talked about the obstacles of getting into the industry and you talked about how it took like six years. I kind of want to also, looking at all this and even the writings you've done in between, I also wanted to go into how what initiatives did you take to establish your brand? Of course, that first conversation you had with Kaede and like keeping that relationship helped you develop some films with him. But I was curious, was it in the success of the film that people started to seek after you as a writer or were there kind of things you had to do on your end to start establishing that brand so people knew that that's something they can come to you for? I don't know if I'm the best person to ask this kind of question because for the most part, I am so happy that if that makes any sense. I end up doing things that work for the brand without me trying to do things that work for the brand. Like, I just sincerely want to, like I did, I did a three-month training for people that wanted to learn how to screen like and I didn't even make that much noise about it. When people heard, they were like, why didn't you say more? Because if people knew you were this, you would have done I was like, my mind wasn't there. I just wanted people to know more about the craft so that the industry could be better. And interestingly, some of them are actually doing amazing work now in the industry. And in some ways, that has come back to be a blessing because they are in positions of maybe production and they come back and say, well, can I work on this script? I know a person who can do this. So then rules to that might not be... And somehow that has created a network where people that I trained are also rising up. So we're all helping each other build more work and do things that are helpful within the industry. 
also, I, there's a point where I did an advert, and I think it was very interesting. Maybe I should share it. I don't know if I should share it for this purpose, but I talked about what I do, and I told people that I would be the right person for the job. And it was a very successful one. It was playing in offices. I was surprised. People call me, I saw your advert playing in my office, on TV in my office, and I just shared it on LinkedIn and Spaces, and it took off. So I think just putting work out there and talking about the work itself, sharing about my process, I, I've just always been passionate about doing that doing a lot of things on my Instagram, people who, who have questions. Do you want to know how I wrote this thing called like about the layering and things like that? And people would come around and they would be interested in learning. Recently, I started a community called Story Story Village for storytellers, Africa and beyond, even in the diaspora, who want to tell stories authentically in line with their roots and things like that. So those things come natural to me. I, I don't know if that's branding, but it's just how I am. I, I love sharing knowledge. I love talking about the things I love to do. And somehow in that way, that has helped with the branding, I guess. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's actually, it's a very good explanation. So it sounds like you're giving to the community. And Thank you. Yeah. Kind yeah. of giving that knowledge. No, it's truthfully. <laughs> it just happened very organically. <laughs> but I, but I, yeah, no, I totally love that. That in giving and saying, hey, I just want to tell you why I like what I do. And this is what I do that people worked with you and eventually remembered you and recommended you. I think that's really incredible. And yeah, I want to talk about this story village as well this community that you've started and also yeah let's start there because I know you have another project I want to make sure we talk about too but what inspired that and what does that actually look like and, and kind of what what are your dreams and goals and plans around that story story village started officially in July the first of July I was trying to create a space that would be safe for storytellers I noticed that within the Nigerian industry especially maybe Africa on a broader scale, but I'll just say Nigeria because that's where I'm based. There was a gap. We would have amazing literature coming from Nigeria. We have Pulitzer Prize winners from Nigeria. But then the film, film aspect, there would be gaps in storytelling and like how could the same crop of people be telling wonderful stories in literature but stories that are below par in film? How does that work? All of these are storytelling mediums. And I wanted to create a space where we would all work with, with different mediums of storytelling and see how they play into each other, even as we would hone our crafts and then produce our own works. So filmmakers, poets, screenwriters, prose writers, playwriters, everything, that whole space, we just come together consistently, sharing tips, sharing ideas, and developing our own work. That was part of it. But on a deeper level too, it was inspired hugely by the negative movement that happened in the early 90s because narratives have a lot to do with who we understand ourselves to be as a people and if we don't tell stories that inspire people to be proud in their African identity in their heritage it's not likely that things will be better on the political front either or economically people would always want to maybe get enough money to build infrastructure but the people that don't know their identity can't even build infrastructure that would help the people so things feed into other things, storytelling, especially the narrative we hold on to. Over there in Canada, you have very strong narratives. In the US, there's strong narratives, the pursuit of happiness, things like that. Those things play into everything else within the culture that then turn to impact the way they do the work that they do. So story story village on a broader scale is also trying to create work that inspires the society to believe in the truth of our identity through stories. So yes. That's incredible. And is this like an online community that people can join? Is it like kind of like a subscription community that they're part of and that you're leading? It's currently online. Well, we're having, we're building a website, which will be out shortly. And then there'll be membership on the website. But apart from that, we're also having a launch, a physical launch in person next year, God willing. So there we would have our partners come on board and different things and connections and have more workshops that happen physically. So yes, it's more than online, but currently online. We started out online. Amazing. I'm so excited about that. And also you have a podcast that you just recently launched. What is the goal of the story behind that as well? The podcast is called Once Upon a Dreamer. That one is a bit more personal. It came from like over the past few years, as you would know, there's just been a lot of difficult seasons. And more recently, I came out of it. I came out of the whole maybe the darkness of it, 
and started looking around and noticed that I had forgotten a lot of the dreams I had as a child. Not like it would look like you're doing all the film work, you're doing all these things, you're living your dreams. But I, I feel that dreams are deeper than that. Dreams are spaces where you get to truly be in freedom without fear, not wondering what everybody's saying. When I mentioned around Ponzi time, the feedback that was coming in, there was good feedback, but there was also bad feedback. And with the negative feedback, I would feel so terrible. I would say things like, why don't they like you? Why can't they accept it? And I realized that external validation had a lot to do with my perception of work. And in terms of that, I had to do a lot of self-reflection and a lot of praying and saying, okay, this dream, this dream I have, I'm saying I want to do things that would impact the society and help people. How can I help people if I'm trying to please them or get their approval every single time? It doesn't really balance out. There are things that you need to do that first will not be popular, but then it makes the place better. It makes the world a better place. Nobody would follow you. It might say, who is this doing something? that's not profitable, you make money in this area, we're not coming in that direction. But then when you do something, like the Martin Luther's of the world, like the, um, what's this lady's name that sat down on, on the bus? Yeah, I always, Rosa Parks. Yeah. Thank you, Rosa Parks. Like the Rosa Parks of this world, like many things that need to be done aren't the most popular at first. And I had to really sit down and think about this. The dream I have in my heart is to tell stories that help the world to become a better place. If I need to do this, I can't always be looking to be popular and to be liked and to be accepted on every front. And I realized that I wasn't the only one in this world. There are a lot of people who want to do things, but they've not gotten the external validation and they forget that they have an inner witness of what they should be doing, regardless of whether people agree or they don't. And I wanted to share that message in a very step-by-step way. Like almost like if you need a friend that's on this journey, I need you don't go alone. There'll be someone here week by week, episode by episode, sharing her own experiences, sharing examples. Let's take this walk together to that place where our dreams, the subtle dreams of our hearts become reality, not the ambitions, but the true dreams. That sounds amazing. And I'm really looking forward to hearing it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) As I'm sharing Tolu on this podcast, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing her own as well. (laughs) I wanted to kind of circle back to that idea of dreams and Mm -hmm. that idea of if someone is, um, you know, seeing this today, whether they're in Nigeria or whether in North America, and they're like, you know, I want to be into the film industry, whether it's screenwriting directing I want to do what Tolowani's managed to do what in a practical sense other than your story would you say that they should do when they're trying to set up their creative narratives in a position that like practically like how do we get all the people how do we you know how do we go into production and be uh how do we start showing it to people that it could make sense to that that could actually see our work and and begin to elevate what we're doing. I would say that it's a good thing that we're in the world we are in like today's world it has democratized the process a lot more. So it's not as difficult, I guess, right now. I would say short films. And I did a short film. Interestingly, I forgot to mention that my short film was how I got my job in TV and then I became a director there. That was after I left while I didn't get productions as a video editor. I did a short film. I even acted in it because I didn't have much money. And I had to cook I edited it, I directed it, I wrote it. So I did a lot of work on that same film. And um, I even submitted it to some festivals. So eventually, whether I was trying to get the job or while I did my productions, when I was trying to get into a fellowship, the Pan-African Fellowship called Akuma, which was with, with Zane Virgie, CNN's with Zane Virgie and CNN's Chidi Akwezi. Um, they were the ones who started that whole program. They saw my short film and they were like, wow, this person actually is creative. She has ideas. She'll be able to pull this through. And same thing for the job at um, Channels Television and the other news. Even later on, into screenwriting, people could see that, oh, I did the short film and I wrote it. That means I can write it. It could serve as a proof of concept. So you've done it before, you can do it again. And I did this myself. I didn't read someone else's story. It's my story, so it shows my level of creativity and things like that. But the other end of it, even after you've done a short film or before you've done a short film, I would say be ready, practice, practice, and practice. I, I know I know all those years that nothing was seen me happen happen. I know how much I studied, I know how much I watched, I know how much I sat down virtually on Hollywood Roundtable, listening to other screenwriters talk about their processes and directors talking about it. I, I watched more than just actually writers, actors. I wanted to understand the whole process of it. So then when I'm writing, I can see it. In fact, I also worked as an editor. 
means that even as I'm writing, I can see how a scene cuts, so it affects my pacing. So I'll take in the whole genre of film, the whole medium, and learn about all the aspects of it beyond just writing or the directing, know what you need to know because everything plays into everything else. And then when you get the chance, you'll be ready because it's one thing to ask people to give you a chance, to give you a shot, and then they see your work and it's not good enough and then you'll get another chance. But it's better to be ready and then also do your own proof of concept and getting in will be easier because if you submit to a film festival, you can win that film festival and you can get called for bigger opportunities. The small festivals, the big festivals. I tried getting into Cannes the first time and I didn't get in. I think that was very ambitious of me. So, but yeah, that's how it went. I love that. Sorry, if you don't mind me asking another question, because <laughs> that's something else I've noticed is like, yes, you're right, it's been democratized. But also, I don't know if this has always been a thing, but it's recently I'm hearing about film festivals. I'm sure they've been mm. around for years, but I feel like they've suddenly gotten really cool somehow like even mm -hmm. in North America it's like oh like this film got in the film festival it's like this mm -hmm. new upcoming independent film like you know I even know. even Taylor Swift submitted something to a film festival I, I think it was like if you're trying to like show that you're trying to be somewhat serious about film you at least want to have something submitted mm -hmm. to something like that just so people can see it and review it it's almost like a testing yeah. ground there's a fairly big one even in Canada called TIFF, which again, I've only started hearing about in recent years. So I'm just curious, is that because you, because this is your world, like has that always been like a place where people in film and directing and screenwriting, has this always been a big deal for that industry? And, mm -hmm. it, and like, why is it suddenly like everyone's like knowing about these film festivals? Not, not I, I won't say commercial way, but they're becoming kind of like cool like to go to in that sense i don't know I, I would not have known that it wasn't as known outside film because to me it's always been always the thing the film festivals everywhere in the world but i think also that there are many more film festivals than there used to be especially since um, the pandemic because a lot of things being virtual so more people had access i guess more people had less to do as well so we wanted to see what was going on around the world i remember i had one of them is it ponzi ponzi premiered at the nollywood Week Festival Paris. I remember that happening. And people watched it there and enjoyed it and there were tickets and stuff. Next week in Nigeria, we have one called AFID and it's, Niger it's Africa's biggest film festival and their submissions, their workshops. So it's been a thing for a while, but I think also nowadays, maybe film and the profession of it are becoming much more accessible. Anyone can record a film with a phone. There are even categories in film festival for smartphone created films, right? So if, if there's much more accessibility and open doors for participation, I guess that's also part of why it's becoming much more known around the world. But I wouldn't have known if you mentioned it. So I thought it was, I thought it was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like becoming like, I don't know what the word is when people want to join like that cool new scene going on. Right? Like, <laughs> they want to be seen as, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going to an art gallery like oh we're going to the yeah. film festival so you it's kind of like has that vibe about mm -hmm. it which I think is really cool it's just kind of interesting like in the recent years I feel like it's really picked up and knowing about it yeah the trend and then I guess like my final question for you well no I have a few actually but where do you see you and your production and what you're doing in the next five years? Now that you've started this journey, now that you have so many ins and outs of, you know, how to work with different people, how to review deals and projects, like you mentioned, what do you hope you can do with like your production and company and what you're working on in the next five years? Five years, probably I would love to... I would love to make more original films because for a long time, like I mentioned, I've been doing much more writing than directing, even though I started out wanting to do directing and then writing just came along and I fell in love with it. Um, but now I'm realizing that there's, there's, there are a lot of stories I want to tell the way I want to tell them. Because the thing about screenwriting is that you can only do so much. You can have a picture in your head, but then when it gets into the director's hands, the director also has their vision, which is the ruling vision for that project. And it's just how it works. I'm glad I've been able to experience both ends of it. But there are films that I've come up with, the ones I've written, there's some I'm still writing. 
that are very precious to me and I don't want to give someone else to do. Like I can already see the story world, I can envision it. I'm also good with graphics. So actually I'm, I'm a good director. It's just that I've enjoyed staying behind the scenes a little bit too much. So in this coming years, God willing, I would like to make more of these films, films that really speak to issues that I think are extremely important, but in very beautiful ways and very enjoyable ways. Hopefully with you as well. You know I say that. <laughs> So, yes. Oh, yeah, I love that. And yeah, I have uh, it to, to totally ready, but it'd be awesome to work on something together. So yeah, I'm not naive to the fact that film is a huge process. I have to say, like as a cousin, like I'm extremely proud of you that you've even gotten to these platforms and I assumed it would be a process. And I think when people go into it, they should definitely go into, yeah, like making those connections and having the patience, like you're saying, and not expecting like, that's the only outcome of success. So definitely very proud of you. And I know that there's so much learning that's happened in that. So I'm just, yeah, I'm excited to just collaborate creatively in general and see, but yes, that, that's for future, <laughs> future uh, thoughts for the audience. And also for where you are today, Tolani, everything that you've learned, what do you value the most about your position that you're in today? Yes, I would say what I value, I would say, the gift of influence. I think it's, I'm not sure if that's it, but right now that's what comes to mind. I think that's the whole point of storytelling. I think that's why I do it. Not because I want people to necessarily follow me, but if you have something to say and people get to listen to it and it somehow helps the society, I think that's a big deal. Because there are a lot of people saying things that destroy lives and um, pushing the wrong values and leading people into depression and stuff. Just, there's just enough to make people sad and down but how about giving hope with the words i speak or with the stories i share i think that's a that's a big deal the fact that i get to do that to show people a dream I'm talking about once upon a dreamer again stories are like giving a person the proposition of a dream you can see things differently you can look at it this way it's part of why i left the new side of mass communication because i noticed that you just give the news and people listen but it doesn't do much it's just information but if i tell you a story it's possible that you can drop your guards down for a minute and consider what I'm seeing and maybe change your mind and decide to go in a better direction. In this lady called life, it takes on the subject matter of abuse, parental abuse, sexual abuse as well. And the mother there has been very verbally abusive to her daughter for since she was a child. And something happens and she has to face herself and realize that she was the monster in the situation. And the hope in writing that kind of story is that a lot of people within settings I have, have grown up in, I've seen them go through parents who speak like that to them. And everything, nothing is said because it's a culture that's supposed to respect elders. Meanwhile, you're destroying this child's self-esteem. And I didn't want to watch that anymore. I saw some things and I didn't want that to continue. So I said, if I can tell a story through a film that would touch people, and people would watch it and they would cry, they would show their parents, the parents would cry. And I was like, oh, if this can have that effect, it's, it's a privilege that I don't take lightly. So that's one of the things I value the most. Like having a conversation and people saying, okay, I'll change. I'll make a better decision. That is so beautiful, Tolani. <laughs> Definitely recommend you watching the film. I am trying to figure out how to watch Ponzi, but I will. <laughs> and <laughs> because, uh, yeah, as we know, not everything shows up in different countries for that. But I will definitely see i have amazon prime so i will see that i can watch it or find it somehow or nordvpn i'm sure there's a way i can do it <laughs> but i want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast today sharing your story and just being so authentic about it and like i said i'm already very proud of you and just excited about everything that you will do and thank you for taking the time to share with the audience your journey today and i know i'll have this in the show notes but where can they find you online at tuluani obayan at tuluani obayan on twitter on instagram and then at tuluani obayan.com on the web awesome yeah thanks so much for being on the podcast today thank you for having me <laughs> for sure <laughs>